Most of us love the idea of traveling, but between the constraints of money, time, and the hustle and bustle of day-to-day -day life, few of us ever get to visit all of the places we'd like to experience. On this show, Phil and Pete have conversations with interesting people who have, and do, live in some of the most remote and exotic locales on the planet. Together, we'll travel the world from the privacy of your earbuds in Vicarious Encounters. And welcome to another episode of Vicarious Encounters. I'm Phil. And I'm Pete. And today we're going to spend some time, just the two of us, answering some of your questions. We have gotten questions over the uh, time the podcast has been on the air about uh, what in the world we're attempting to do and uh, why aren't we better at it and uh, <laughs> why would we do the things that we do. And mostly we're doing them the way we're doing them because we have the microphones, but we'll give you better answers here in the episode. Before we get to the questions, though, I just want to give you just a little bit of perspective. We have actually taken the questions from uh, the users who are fans of the page on Facebook and various other places and even people we've talked to live and in person. And we've sorted them into three general categories, questions about the podcast itself, questions about uh, us as individuals, and questions about travel, which is, of course, our primary topic. So without further ado, we will just start working through those questions and we'll see where our time goes and how far we get. And maybe this is one really short episode, or maybe this is two normal length episodes. We haven't gotten that far yet. So here we go. Why don't we start off talking about how this podcast got started and where the idea came from? To be honest, I was just uh, thinking about Pete one day and thought, man, I don't hang out with him nearly enough because we live many, many states away. So why don't we do something that could get us to spend more time together? And I thought, hey, let's start a podcast. So I talked to him and we both decided we needed something interesting to talk about or else no one's going to listen to it. <laughs> there are uh, debates amongst listeners as to whether or not we've accomplished that yet. But I think that on the whole, we are doing something that we personally enjoy because we both love travel and we both love the idea of seeing the world uh, do you have anything to add to that pete well i just felt like the time was right too you know we, we're coming off of the whole covid thing to sort of shut the whole world down and it really for me it punctuated the importance of not only spending time together which obviously we do primarily virtually but also just of the value of getting out and going or going around the world seeing different places in the world being a tourist I think I was reminded how much I love that when I wasn't able to do it for a while. And so I think that that's part of it for me as well. And also just the dawning realization of, of my age. I just realized that because of COVID, I lost two or three years of travel. Uh, 2020 was going to be the year I was going to do more travel than I had ever done in my entire life in a single year. And boom, just like that, it was taken away from me. And I suddenly realized that there are just so many phenomenal places on the planet that I'm not going to have time to get to while I'm still here. So I thought, you know, this is this is as good a thing to talk about in any. And yeah, it uses it makes a good excuse for us to hang out and talk together, which that works for me as well. All right. Um, 
another question that we had is how long do we expect the podcast to last? What do you think, Pete? You know, I've been asked this a lot. Like, how long are you guys going to do this? And uh, that's such a great like, question. <laughs> in, in a way of, aren't you done already? Or in a way of, we want to hear more. I think it's more like how much of your how how committed are you to this? I, part of the reason I get asked this, so I have a daughter who is uh, probably more connected to where most podcast listeners are than I am socially. She's just uh, she works at a at a pub, and she really has a good sense for where people are coming from. And early on in the podcast, uh, you know, we were talking about how many listeners we had. And I was a little discouraged because I had kind of imagined that this thing would get bigger quicker. And she said, Dad, no, nobody's going to listen to a podcast that only has three episodes. Like people in my generation, we binge. And uh, so that is, is where a lot of this is coming from. I think people are wondering, like, are you going to have enough podcasts for, for me to make a commitment to this thing? Um, and, of course, the answer is I don't know. But, uh, you know, I've always thought that a preliminary goal would be 100 episodes. Uh, not for any specific reason other than I just thought I don't want to do something if we're not going to actually like make a commitment to it and do it for sort of a more extended period of time, which is part of the reason why we recorded, uh, you know, a, a good 10 episodes before we ever, ever even released the first one. Um, so what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that line, Phil? Uh, triple digits does sound good, whatever that ends up looking like. I do want to feel like there's some longevity to what we're doing and I I have a lot of podcasts that I listen to that have sort of an ebb and flow in terms of uh, in terms of hosting where people will come and go and there'll be kind of a mainstay and I don't feel like this works in that in that same sort of way if that makes sense like the way that we are at least the way that we are currently um, dividing and conquering the workings of this podcast, you know, we both have to kind of be all in to make a go of it. And mm -hmm. I, you know, part of the, part of the question is how sustainable is that commitment? And, you know, that's an honest question that neither of us can answer yet because we are not, you know, six months, a year down the road from where we are now, we're just going to have to wait yeah. and see. But um, I am, I'm completely committed now and I hope to continue to be completely committed as time goes on. And I don't see that changing, but it's just such a hard, hard question to answer. But I like your, I like your answer of at least a hundred episodes. That's a good, uh, that's a good round number to get to. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I am starting to realize is there's a good chance that we'll get better at this as we go. Um, you know, I, I go back and listen to some podcasts that I have started to like that are on, you know, that are somewhere in the triple digits. And when I go back and listen to the early episodes, I'm like, wow, that's not nearly as good. And so I, I'm thinking to myself, if that works in our situation, I'd love to think that we could get into the triple digits and look back on where we are now and think, wow, we are so much better at doing this than we were back then. So that's also my hope. Yeah, I agree. That would be, you know, growth, growth is always a nice, uh, a nice goal. Now, one of the questions I've been asked a few times is people want to know, like, is this a missionary podcast or a Christian podcast? Because they've noticed that with a number of our guests, that somebody will bring up some sort of missionary connection or some sort of church connection or whatever. Uh, and the answer is no, uh, it's not. It, it, it really is a travel podcast. It really is a podcast about 
loving the world and the people in it. However, the honest truth is, is that when it comes to finding people that are that have lived overseas for a year or more, so far, most of my connections have been people who who have been there for faith reasons. They're not always there as missionaries. Sometimes they're there for other faith uh, commitments. But um, but that's been, you know, it, you, you start with where your connections are. But, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for people with, with a wide diversity of experiences. It was really fun talking to a, that couple who, uh, you know, they were, they were overseas because they were in the military. And Hank and Stephanie, one, yeah. Yeah, we, and we've had a, a student who was overseas, Taylor. Um, so we, we've had some people overseas for different reasons, and we're hoping to find more. It's possible that uh, our format is divisive to our audience because – People uh, come in saying, okay, let's hear about travel. Let's hear about places. And then we have these segments at the end where they're just very much just us uh, spouting nonsense off the top of our heads to some extent um, with our top five and our unpopular opinions. And so the question is, why do we do that? Well, I think there's a couple of good answers. My first answer is that travel is what gets us and gets the guests to the show, but Travel does not define entirely who they are, and I want to hear about the places they've been, but I want to hear about the people as well. If we can talk about uh, the things that we like and the opinions that we have, we get a better vision of who those folks are, and um, hopefully the listeners are getting a better vision of who we are as hosts. You know, I have heard lots of commentary about episodes as they've happened. And most of the comments that I have gotten have been regarding those two segments. Uh, you know, there'll be, there'll be a lot of, yeah, that was really interesting, you know, hearing about whatever place, but then the discussion happens when it's, I can't believe that you didn't add blah, blah, blah to your top five, or I can't believe that you would think blah, 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 you know, because we all have our own opinions and we like to voice them. And in all honesty, we are trying to appeal to people who are wanting to hear about places they've never been. So there's not, you know, we're the conduit for that conversation. The opportunity for audience participation comes in those top five and those unpopular opinion moments. And that is what, uh, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Listener engagement. I I think that's, that that's a huge piece and yeah you in two words said what i just said in like uh multiple paragraphs of uh rambling well i think it was a good backdrop too like you, we we really actually do want to hear from listeners in fact you know I, I get a lot of verbal feedback i'd love to hear even more from social media uh, and email connections you know there's a bigger reason here too for me anyway and that is you know i've noticed that as time goes on more and more in our culture, people are gravitating toward their own bubbles, their own echo chambers, where we tend to be cloistered into into groups of people that all like the same things and all think the same things. And I don't think that's healthy. I think one of the geniuses of the American experiment is to have the ability to have diversity of opinions and perspectives, but still be able to get along. One of the things I really love about our top five in our unpopular opinions is there are very few subjects on which Phil and I really agree when it comes to matters of preference. And so we get into these conversations and, you know, sometimes we, we disagree. Sometimes we disagree like rather strongly, 
And I loved the idea of being able to model disagreement without being disagreeable. You know, at the end of the podcast, we've had a great time. We've laughed together, both both us and our guests, despite the fact that we often have significant disagreements. And I feel like we need more places where that happens in our culture. I feel like in a, on a lot of radio programs, a lot of TV programs, people are saying things and everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But nobody listens to different opinions. And so we just want to have a place where that kind of disagreement can happen. And at the end of the day, we can go grab a coffee or a beer and hang out and enjoy each other's company. Well, and to a large extent, that thing, uh, those segments are an extension of the podcast itself, the discussion of why do you love this place? And it's just another discussion of why do you love the things that you love? And Mm -hmm. I think that I am personally drawn to people who are passionate about specific things. And so hearing your opinions on matters is endearing to me and draws me into what uh, you have to say, even when you're wrong frequently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that kind of leads us to the last question on this part of the set on this segment, that is questions about the podcast. And that is like, why are we doing it anyway? You know, what do we hope to accomplish? I would love to see Americans come to appreciate and love the diversity of the world in all of its linguistic beauty, all of its scenic beauty. I love so many places in the United States. And and in fact, when I think about traveling and enjoying travel, a lot of the places that come to my mind are inside this country. But there's a beautiful world out there. And I would love to spread the enthusiasm and the passion for that to a, a lot of our listeners, to have people have the the boldness to go places they never would have otherwise tried to see parts of the world to meet people that they never would have otherwise met as a result of listening to the podcast for me that would be success i'm going to get a little bit uh a little bit sentimental here but i teach in a very small rural community i teach a lot of kids who have never been outside of the county that they grew that they're growing up in and have never gone anywhere. And so they have no perspective about the world beyond where they are. And frankly, that was me when I was in junior high and high school as well. You know, it never occurred to me that I could go or be anywhere else. It was just a, this is, this is who I'm going to be. And this is, you know, where I'm going to do it. You know, I, my big dream when I left high school was to get away from home, but in as safe a way as possible so that I went to college an hour and a half away. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. far enough that I wasn't seeing family 90% of the time, but close enough that I could get back there whenever I needed to. You know what I mean? So I sort of yeah, yeah. dipped my toe in the waters heading off to college and it kind of took off from there. And I realized I can go anywhere and do anything. I just have to be determined to put uh, put the things into place to make it happen. And I hope that other people can hear that and see that in this podcast, that you don't have to be someone that is particularly special or unique or anything else to travel to these places. You just have to be someone who is willing to work toward that goal. I mean, you know, for me growing up in a 
in a low a lower class family that goal was always the barrier of money you know and so mm-hmm. for my wife and i has always been a thing of you know we're going to save up to see the world and you know we don't have the nicest car we don't have the nicest house instead we have things that are reasonable and clean and that we can live with and that do the things they need to do and we save our money to go and see places and have experiences otherwise so it's just about priorities and i want other people to recognize that they can rearrange those priorities and go the places that they have longed to go the world is bigger than your backyard and your hometown and uh, your county and your state yeah and i i think one of the things too that has been such a benefit for me about this podcast is showing me two paradoxical things about people and one is how much we're really all the same, and the other is how much we can learn from each other's diversity. You know, when it comes to the sameness, it's interesting that, like, the further I've gotten from home, the more I've been surprised at the, the kinds of things that we all tend to laugh at and the kinds of things that we all tend to like and h- how much about the human experience is similar from one place to the next, even if you're literally on the other side of the planet. But the other thing is the diversity you know, one thing we've we've commented on this, uh, Phil, more than once is when you go to another enough other places in the world or talk to people who've been to another other places in the world, you start to learn things about your own culture. And two of the things that we've really heard over and over and over again that have made me look at myself and our culture in a fresh way. One is busyness, just how busy everybody else in the world seems to think we are. And the other is hospitality. Just how beautiful hospitality is and how much of it you can experience in other parts of the world. Because I always got the impression, for whatever reason, that Americans were the most hospitable people in the world, that we were the most expansive and kind and most willing to bring in outsiders and feed them, you know, and kind of the Statue of Liberty comes to mind, you know, send all your weary and broken. But you know, the more I hear from people who've been in other parts of the world, the more I realize, wow, that's really a characteristic that is super evident in other cultures. Yeah. All right. So we are going to now go to this segment that's about questions about us personally, individually. And the first question, I'll ask it to you, Pete, and then I'll answer after you, I suppose, okay. if that's how you want to do it. I, I was super excited to uh, see this question pop up. It came from one of my former students who is a who is uh, growing into a wonderful adult in her own right. I still think of them, you know, as students, so I have to <laughs> I have to shift <laughs> that thinking. And it's just such a good a good question in terms of getting to know someone individually. And so she asked, "What small thing, excluding the people that you love?" brings joy to your heart yeah for me i'm gonna say a path in the woods and particularly if it's you know if there's some elevation change um i just love being outside i love being in among the trees i love the smell of life and green um i just i just i love the the relative solitude of being able to do that without a lot of people around and it just, I don't know, there's something about that that just brings joy to my heart. I'm not sure if it's associating with previous experiences in that kind of context or if it's just 
the, the, the sort of peace and serenity that I feel in that kind of context, but that's probably the most straightforward, simplest thing that I can say. What about you? I feel like my answer is less straightforward and less simple. It's a great, uh, that's a great answer. And I love what you said, and I feel those same things. But when I think about what is the thing that brings joy to my heart where I can stop in the middle of what I'm doing and look on into myself from outside and say, this is, this is a wonderful moment. And for me, it is any time that I am in the midst of creation. You know what I mean? Anytime, whether that is uh, with my guitar in my hands or if I am writing something or if I am even preparing for this podcast can do the same, can do the same for me. But I really, I really find joy in the opportunity to create and in being myopically focused on a particular creative task. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So <clears throat> we got a lot of questions about uh, places that we've traveled, things that we've seen. Um, one of the questions that, that we got was, where is the furthest that you've traveled from home? And, you know, short of finding a globe and sort of sticking my finger on one side of the globe and then looking like, like okay, what's the opposite side? It was hard for me to know exactly where <laughs> to go. So I, uh, I actually found a website called furthestcity.com. And if you go to that website, you can punch in your city. In my case, it's Dallas, Texas, and try to figure out, okay, so where is the farthest, what's the exact opposite place on the planet from Dallas, Texas? And I'm still not 100% sure uh, which of the following uh, is the furthest, but it's going to be either Brisbane, Australia, or it's going to be... Um, Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea in terms of major cities. And it's because I think the exact opposite of where I live on the planet is in the middle of the ocean somewhere. So it's probably one of those two. What about you? You know, I, I'm actually looking at this website right now. So you're going to have to bear <laughs> with me for a few seconds. Okay. Um, because <laughs> now I want to know based on what it says. Clearly, Australia is on the other side of the world. It's not surprising that that's the thing that pops up mostly. I have not been that far away. The farthest that I have been actually is the city of Tbilisi. And uh, I was there in the country of Georgia. I was there this past summer, and I hope to talk about that some in a future segment because it was a beautiful city, and I loved it. And But that is definitely the farthest I've been. I've been to Europe before, and that's on the outer skirts of uh, what you're still calling Europe and uh, into uh, into Asia. And so, yeah, that would be it for me. Okay. So we were also asked, what is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? You know, I, I didn't know how to answer this question because I think it really, it demands two things. One, that we agree about what constitutes strange. And two, that I know what I actually was eating. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So I think the strangest thing that I knew, know that I, well, I, did, I didn't know when I ate it, but I know I found out afterwards that I had eaten some dog when I was uh, traveling in Mexico at one point. But I probably don't know what the strangest thing I, is I've ever eaten because there's so many times when I was in uh, a village somewhere, and I'm thinking specifically of my time in Papua New Guinea and, and my visits to West Africa, where they put something in front of us, and I don't know what it was. And... 
even if they told me the answer to the question, what it was, it, uh, if I could find a way to ask it so they could understand me, I probably wouldn't know what that word meant. So I don't know what the strangest thing is I've ever eaten. I, I will say that on my most recent visit to West Africa, of all things, I was eating with um, one of our uh, one of our friends that lived there, and uh, he served me something that looked like it came out of the movie Alien. Uh, and it turned out it was it was just uh, it was a whole squid. I'd only had like little pieces of calamari, but this it was it was a whole squid, and it it looked like that thing that came out of somebody's chest in the movie Alien. Uh, it was the oddest looking thing I'd ever seen, and it didn't taste terrible, but it was pretty strange. What about you? Okay, so we're gonna talk about a couple things here. First of all, I am a terrible traveler when it comes to food uh, <laughs> because I am more picky than what you really should be to be a world traveler. Um, but I'm also just content not eating if, <laughs> if that's my only option, if that makes sense. Uh, but uh, there are, I also did something really stupid. I didn't know it was stupid, but I was in high school during a meal at my Spanish teacher's house, he had roasted goat over, over an open flame, which is amazing, delicious. Oh, yeah. But I tried to eat the spinal cord, and that's a terrible idea. Apparently, there's all sorts of potential diseases. Don't ever do that, but you couldn't really. It was super rubbery, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even tear it with my teeth. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> So that is the non-answer answer, if that works. <laughs> so I take it that means that neither of us have had bile, like our last guest talked about. Oh, wow. No, I... No, I've, I have not. Honestly, most of my food problems are texture-related. So if I were given a cup of bile, and that was like the expectation... I probably would. I probably would drink it. I, do you drink? Is it liquid enough that you drink I, it? I don't. I don't. Whatever know. you. Whatever you do, <laughs> whatever with, you do it, with it. <laughs> I would. I would probably at least attempt to do that because, yeah. you know, just out of respect. Um, and of course, that's it's it's very different when you are in someone's home and they are feeding you, versus when you're at a restaurant and you can order whatever you want, right? So, yeah. um, I always try to be respectful in my travel, but I don't i i definitely uh shy away from things that i don't i don't like at the same time mm. so this next question i know you and i have a bit of a disagreement about this should be fun and that is how many countries have you traveled to and the, the disagreement comes over whether or not airports count and i say airports do not count to me if you don't get out of the airport and at least sleep one night in the country it doesn't count as actually having been there so that's my perspective on it. I'm not 100% sure. I've been in over a dozen countries. It's somewhere around 14 or 15, but I, I'm not sure I'm counting them all. But I do know that I visited five continents, and I'm planning on visiting the sixth. What I'm trying to figure out is how to get to Antarctica at some point or another, because that's the one continent that it's going to be – there's not going to be a very easy and natural way to get there, but – I actually was talking to my wife the other day about the possibility of taking a cruise to Antarctica someday. So pro probably, I think 15 is my count if I don't include the United States. And I'm not counting airports. 
I uh, am at uh, 10 or 11, depending on uh, whether you count Pete's way or the right way. And I, this is my, <laughs> this is my theory, okay? I, I don't mind your sort of staunch cutoff, but when I was traveling to Greece, we actually, I may be at more like, hang on, I think I've missed some countries because I think I'd be, be more at 11, 12, 13, 14. I'm at 14, so ignore that. I just don't know how to count. <laughs> but when we were traveling to Greece, we had a layover in Madrid and they definitely checked my passport. They only check your passport if you're entering the country. Yes or no? Um, they check your passport anytime you're in the airport because they want right. to know who you are and why you're there. Yeah, Right, because you're entering the country. They don't check my passport when I fly from Chicago to uh, Dallas. But you only need a visa if you're going into the country. And you didn't need a visa because you weren't actually going into the country. Uh, but you only need a visa part of the time anyway. I don't think, <laughs> I think I've only ever needed a visa in one of the 13 countries I've been to. So I'm going to go with, uh, yes, I was in Spain. And um, yes, I was in uh, Turkey this summer, even though we did not get out of the airport in Istanbul. However, cool thing, are you ready for this? Yeah. If you are ever traveling through Istanbul, I highly recommend that you give yourself a layover that is at least eight to 10 hours long. Why? Uh, because from the airport, you can go on a service that will take you around the entire city of Istanbul by bus while you wait for your plane. Like literally they will do tours of the city. This is the only place I've heard of that happening from the airport. Maybe there's happens in other places, mm. but the idea of getting to see this city that otherwise you're just going to be sitting in an airport waiting around uh, is very cool to me. So they quit doing that during COVID, but have recently just started doing it again. Anyway, I think that that is super cool. But yeah, I'm going to count airports because they still make uh, make me give them my passport so that I can go into their country. So, Well, I'm, I'm not counting them because they don't make me get a visa, but uh, I would get another half dozen if, if they counted. So, but I don't get that credit. Have you, have you had to have a visa for every country you visited? Uh, have you been to England? I have been to England. Did they make you have a visa? Because they didn't make me have a visa. One. So does it count? <laughs> no, but the country... By your were... number, it doesn't count. <laughs> but, but the countries that do require a visa for all of their visitors, where I did land at the airport, did not require a visa for me because they did not consider me as having actually visited. Uh-huh. That was their call. I, I'm skeptical. But this is the funny thing when uh, my wife and i went to ukraine way back in 2004 we were young and naive and we got this idea it's like okay we will get a double entry visa right in case we want to go mm -hmm. visit somewhere else which is a cool idea yes yeah we did not get a visa to go to any other country so <laughs> we couldn't even use it <laughs> that's a shame yeah it was dumb um, it's like, okay, we, we planned the first part, but we didn't actually get a visa to go anywhere else. All right. <laughs>
So we both are, we are both are in the, uh, in the low teens on countries visited, which uh, I feel is respectable. And I don't know about your standards. I'm over 20. That's fine. I'm proud of you. <laughs> By your standards, I'm only down one or two, okay. I suppose. That's okay. So I'm still at like 11 or 12. This next question is nearly impossible to answer, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, someone asked, what is the most beautiful place that you visited? This is a this is a top five waiting to happen, honestly, in my <laughs> opinion. But I'm going to narrow it down to two. Can I do two? Is that fair? Oh, I, okay, fine. Okay. First of all, the number one, without a doubt, is Greece. I loved the countryside in Greece so much. I especially loved the, um, well, two cities, the, the city of Delphi, which was super cool, built up on a mountain. You get a lot of cardio in walking those streets, uh, but it was just gorgeous, like on the sides of these green mountains, just absolutely beautiful. And then also the city of uh, Napoleon, which is a port city that is very uh, cosmopolitan and uh, very, it just, it just feels like the prototypical sort of European city, except everything, you know, when we were there was clean and beautiful and nice. And it was just, it was wonderful. Other than Greece, Greece is, yeah, Greece is definitely my number one, but there are so, there are so many. But other than Greece, right now, I have to say that my second, uh, the second is Alaska. Hmm. All, the, all the countries that we have been to, none have fully compared to being in the mountains in Alaska. And the, yeah, the, the, the vistas were breathtaking and varied throughout, you know, and there was a, there's a cool thing about being um on the edge of anchorage outside the city where you're at sea level mm -hmm. and behind you is a mountain so the top of the mountain isn't very high the way that we measure height because you're starting at zero but right. it's like right there for you and you've got the you've got the ocean and you've got the mountains and it's all just right there like we lived in washington when we were going to uh, grad school and Washington is sort of uh, Anchorage light or Alaska light. Um, but yeah, Alaska definitely would be number two. How about you? Well, I'll start domestic since that's where you finished. Uh, I would say Yosemite. Um, I, you know, when we went into Yosemite park with our family, it felt like the Disneyland of, of scenic landscapes. It, it just, it didn't even feel real to me. It was, it's, it's, it's like Truman show. It feels like somebody like artificially constructed what they thought I would think was the prettiest thing. And then like, put it out there for me to look at. It just, it's just unbelievable. When you come through that and you come in on that road, sort of through the woods, and then you sort of emerge on the other side, all of a sudden you're just in this like fairy tale land of waterfalls and mountains and trails and green. And it's just, it absolutely breathtaking. Um, uh, the, the one thing I'll say that that did taint it for me a bit is that there were just an awful lot of people there. 
and I that does diminish my appreciation for being in in the in the woods is having a lot of other company. <laughs> we we were in Alaska at the height of COVID because all we were doing was hiking, and there were not very many people anywhere. Oh, which was but I'd say beyond that, uh, I would say uh, Mount Kinabalu in Malaysia. Uh, it is tallest mountain in Malaysia. It has almost this ethereal quality to it. We get to hike on Mount Kinabalu. It's it's such a signature experience of my life, and so much of the wildlife was different than what I was accustomed to, and and so much of the the flora, everything. It just felt exotic and intriguing, and it was all. It also happened to be like misty and it, it kind of when i think of the misty mountains of tolkien fame uh i think of mount kinabalu and wish i was back there these choices by us both remind me that there is a delineation people have made between mountain people and beach people in terms of travelers and <laughs> i think we both tend to be mountain people uh, it does, it does seem so. We've definitely had guests who were more beach people. I remember mm. uh, talking to uh, to Jen and about, about Australia, and that uh, having having that other perspective is probably really good for us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, this seems like a good place to move to our final segment: questions about travel. First question we had in this segment is: Where do you think is the best place to sleep under the stars? You want to start with that one? I can absolutely start with that one. And for me, this was an immediate no-brainer because I went on a trip with my family to uh, Utah just a couple summers ago. And one of our stops there and one of our overnights was um, Arches National Park. And it was, it was beyond incredible. The idea of the pro of the prototypical night out under the stars. This was the place to do it for me because you know there's all sorts of cool geological features, but none of them are tall enough to get in your way of seeing what's up there, right? And so yeah, and I have never seen so many stars in my life because it was flat enough still that there was nothing encumbering the view and yeah nothing has ever come close to me as that plus it was an amazing place to camp because it was so flat even though there's no vegetation so you're camping on rock like you know you're just camping but it was so flat that it was completely comfortable huh you know there were no sticks stabbing you in the back there were no lumps and bumps from the you know i'm talking about camping in the midwest and that's what that's what it all that's what it always is you know even with the pad you're dealing with pine cones and you're dealing with things like that Mm. and uh and yeah so this that was definitely number one for me how about you well for me uh i've gotten i've had the privilege the last several years of going to uh hike a 14er in colorado and there's a bunch of benefits to this um but so the picture, let me give you the picture. We, we drive up to a spot that's usually around 9,000 feet where the trailhead is, and then we take packs and we hike into about 11,000 feet altitude. And that is the best place to sleep under the stars. And here are the reasons why. Number one, there is no cell phone reception. 
we are in a place where no one can get a hold of us and we cannot get a hold of anybody else. And there's no electricity. Secondly, we are right beside a mountain creek, a mountain stream, always, because you need a, you need a source of water if you're going to camp for any length of time, because you can't, you can't carry enough water for a longer uh, camping trip. So, so when you sleep, you can always hear that sound of a mountain stream running right beside you. Um, also, there is no, uh, there's no city light anywhere nearby. So you can see the, one of the, the, the guy I was traveling with, his son was there, he's 16. And I remember after the first night, he was like, I went out in the middle of the night to go pee. And he said, it was just the most unbelievable view of the stars. And, and so then I, I actually slept through the night that first night. But the second night I went out there and the Milky Way, you could just see, it, looked, it felt like you could see every star in the universe. It was just, it was the best for me because it's peaceful. It's cool. There's that constant sound of a running stream and you're far away from being interrupted by technology. So that was the reason for me. So uh, just a, a side question on that. You're talking about uh, hiking this 14er. Now, is that a thing where you require any sort of mountaineering gear or can you do it all just normal hiking stuff and your backpack? I only ask because hiking is by far my number one uh, outdoor activity. It's the thing my wife and I do more than anything else and love to do more than anything else. But I tend to draw the line like I have no interest in mountain climbing. I don't yeah. I don't want to do anything like that. I've hiked up mountains and it's been hard. But if you get to the point where I need to, you know, I need rope or things like that, I'm not interested in that. Well, that's a great question, and it does depend on which 14er you pick. We we always go to ones that don't require special equipment, or we take routes up the mountain that don't require special equipment. However, I, I probably should voice a caveat or two. First of all, once you get above 12,000 feet, you're above treeline. And so, uh, the, and the reason that you're above treeline is because there's not much oxygen up there. Um, so while you don't need special equipment, for some people – it's probably not realistic to hike to the peak of a 14er because you have to be in fairly decent shape. So I would say the main thing that you need is uh, some fitness or training to make it so that you can do it or sufficient time, which means you'd have to like get up very, very early in the morning to give yourself enough time to take enough breaks to be able to get up and get back down because you really don't want to be that high up when thunderstorms roll in, which they often do in the afternoon. Uh, so yeah, no special equipment, but definitely just need to be, I, I don't want to say on here, oh yeah, everybody should go hike a 14er because it's probably not wise for everybody to do that. Honestly, if it hadn't been for the fact that the guy that I go with was a mountain guide for years, I'm not sure I would have attempted it, but being with him, I feel like, okay, he probably knows what he's doing. Cool. Very cool. So next question, what is the most underrated vacation spot? Phil, you want to start with this one? I can. I think it depends on what you mean by underrated, though, honestly, because are we talking about nature? Are we talking about mm. stuff to do? What are we talking about? Because I have a secret. I love nature, but I love cities just as much as I love nature. Mm. I love being deep in the heart of a giant downtown that is hustling and bustling with people and activities and stuff to do. The the enjoyment I get of just being in that place and looking around is just the same, the same level of enjoyment I get out in the woods on my own. 
It's a different mm. experience, but I love it. I have that same sense of awe. Like, you know, look at what has been create, created. And on that note, and since you will probably say something very different than this, I will kind of try to go a different direction. I had the pleasure, and I think maybe, I may have mentioned this before, so maybe I'm repeating myself and I apologize if so, but I had the pleasure last winter to spend a weekend with some friends in Des Moines. And Des Moines is a good sized city and no one thinks about it because it's Iowa, right? <laughs> but yeah, downtown Des Moines was fantastic. It was great. There was all kinds of uh, wonderful restaurants. Like we had amazing food every time we ate and there were all kinds of things to do. I loved it. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not exactly going to get hired by the, uh, the chamber of commerce to do a advertising for them probably, but I absolutely loved it. Well, and I have a very similar response I, I, because I would say the most underrated vacation spot is probably something very close to you. Uh, for me, I would say the state park closest to me is underrated because I, I tend to take for granted whatever's close by. And I would say, for me, the city of Dallas is underrated. I, I have not really appreciated Dallas except when I had people visiting me from out of town. And I remember like, uh, oh, I'd probably lived here for seven or eight years before somebody came and visited. And we went to the sixth floor museum at Dealey Plaza to see the site where JFK was shot. And it's only when company comes that I go to places like, you know, the Dallas Zoo and do some of these things that are touristy things. So I would say the most underrated vacation spot is probably the state park or the large city that is nearest you. Yep, I can see that perspective for sure. All right. So this is an interesting one. What is the most surprisingly fun tourist activity you've ever done all right so i'm gonna say walking the streets of paris now i'm saying the reason that i say surprisingly fun is because when when my wife and i went to paris there was a long list of things that we planned to do or see you know we were going to go see the arc de triomphe and the eiffel tower and the palace at versailles and we were going to go to all these little cafes and the left bank rive gauche and there were all these things that we had planned to do that we felt, oh, we wanted to go see Sacré-Cœur and Notre Dame. Like there's all these tourist sites. But the reason that I say surprisingly fun is because I think the most fun that we had was just walking the streets and stopping at some random bakery that we came across um, uh, and going to a, a fromagerie, the little cheese shop. Um, and grabbing some cheese and a bottle of wine and going back to our hotel room and just that. Like it's for us, what was surprisingly fun was avoiding all of the, the big touristy sites. Like, you know, we would love to have gone and seen the Louvre, but we weren't willing to stand in line long enough uh, to do that. So for us, what was surprisingly fun about Paris was just the architecture and the the pedestrian day-to-day -day things. And if I had to pick one moment, honestly, it would be when we were, we were walking along the, uh, the Seine, the, the river that runs through Paris. And we picked up a couple of those little scooters, the little lime scooters. 
And like a couple little kids, we loaded those things up and we started at Notre Dame and we just ran those scooters as fast as they would go all the way down the, the little riverside walk to uh, the Eiffel Tower. And it was a blast. That's awesome. That sounds very cool. I kind of, I, I hung up on this word activity. So what is a specific thing that feels to me like a specific thing that we did? And I think, I mean, I think your, your answer was very good and I don't want to just repeat it about a different city, but I think that the answer to this question is very dependent on when you were doing the thing, who you were doing the thing with and why you were doing the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And because of that, I'm going to say something that sounds very mundane, but I'll kind of paint that picture. My wife, for her 21st birthday, uh, we were living in Minnesota, and I decided, okay, what can we do? I'm going to go buy, uh, buy a couple nights stay in a hotel in a city that we've never been to, but it's still within decent driving distance. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question ended up being Milwaukee. And we've never been to Milwaukee. Milwaukee was super fun. I liked it. But the best thing that we did there, because of the nature of the trip, was going to visit the Milwaukee Zoo. And I'll tell you why. Because it huh. was a day like this, especially at this time, uh, my wife was very into, into zoos. This was a very big thing that she liked to do. And so hmm. that was a big deal. And she, she's kind of kind of cooled on that on that interest i think as years have gone on but especially then but the circumstances are what made it the most fun activity we've ever done it was in the fall and so the weather was cooler and there was a light drizzle the whole day like just a little more than a mist but not enough rain that it was bothersome so we bought some 99 cent ponchos and threw them on and were pretty much the only people in the zoo for the entire time. You know, we'd occasionally see another, another uh, group of people, but almost never. And it was so much fun and so memorable because circumstances made it that way, if you know what I mean. Yep. So yeah, that is, that is the one for me. That's a good answer. I like that. I like that. Okay, so the last question that we got uh, in the questions about travel section is, what is the number one gadget to take with you when you travel? I, I got hung up on this question because I, the, the word gadget really kind of stuck with me because I wanted to come up with something electronic, something technological. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that a French press is the number one gadget that my wife and I take with us when we travel. We, uh, we grind some coffee at home before we leave and we bring a French press with us wherever we go. And here's the reason, because we can deal with almost any food and almost any situation so long as we have a good cup of coffee. And you cannot count on a good cup of coffee when you travel, in part because what constitutes a good cup of coffee is very different from one place to the next. And in part because hotel coffee is almost always bad. So if you're staying in a hotel, uh, chances are you are not going to get good coffee. Um, and if it is, if it has the potential to be good coffee, it will be brewed too weak, at least too weak for, for my wife and I. So uh, that is 
probably my number one travel gadget. What about yours? That's a great answer. I also love a good cup of coffee and French presses do a phenomenal job of that. I have, uh, again, I have two answers. I have a, (laughs) of course you do. I have a tech and a non-tech answer. How about that? As you were trying to think about the word gadget. My tech answer, because it's the most mundane and boring, though, um, is my Kindle. I love having my Kindle Mm. because traveling frequently involves large stretches of time when there's nothing to do. And I love reading, but I want to get away from my phone. So I only have the old school Kindle that is just the words on the screen, right? Not not anything that connects to the internet or has apps or anything else. It's books Mm. and that's it because that's what I want to do. And even though I love reading, I'm an easily distracted individual. And so if I'm trying to read on the Kindle on my phone, it does, it never goes very well. And Mm. so having my Kindle where I can just be dedicated to reading whatever book I'm reading and that's it. Fantastic. Secondly, the low the low tech or non-tech gadget I always have is a pick. Oh yeah. You never know when you're going to have a chance to play a guitar and you don't want to look like a noob without anything to uh, do it with. I always have my pick and every chance to play a guitar is a good one. And anytime I'm offered, I always say yes, because yes, of course I want to play a guitar. Why would I not want to? So yes, having my pick and I will leave my Kindle at home and never leave my pick at home. So there you go. Ooh, I see uh, the pick Pete just showed me. That is also my preferred brand and uh, thickness. The orange Tortuga from Tortax. Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't say that unless they're paying us to advertise, though. Uh, well, I did. It's too late now. Oh, okay. That's fair. <laughs> uh, they, can, they, can pay, they can pay me an extra picks if they want to. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so we have... Uh, gotten to the end of the questions and it feels to some extent like the end of the interview portion we're not going to do a top five we're not going to do an unpopular opinion this week so instead we're going to end off with this question that we ask all our guests okay pete you have two weeks to go anywhere in the world that you have not yet been oh man where are you going oh man oh you, okay, first of all, a disclaimer, like a lot of our guests, I'm going to pick a place, but I might change my mind, you know, in a few, in a month or two, I might, I might pick somewhere else. Um, and, and part of it is just because, you know, we've heard so many of our guests talk about different places. And so I've gone and researched, like, what would it be like to go to the Maldives? You know, I, I didn't really even know where they were. Um, and what would it be like to go to, uh, I, um, Prague, for example, I've heard a couple of people mention that. Um, but today, for me, I'm going to say um, I'd like to go to northern Italy. It has, for me, the blend of a lot of things I love. A lot of great food, great culture. It's beautiful. Uh, it has mountains. And it also has proximity to France and Germany, which I'd also like to visit. If I had two weeks, I'd go to Northern Italy and I would, I would travel a little bit of time, probably stay put for, for half that time. But then half that time, I would travel uh, to a couple of neighboring countries to try to enjoy that culture as well. 
So today, that's what I'm feeling. What about you? Okay. The broad answer is definitely Asia, because I've never been. And the fascination that I just shared with you about being in large cities, to me, that's the ultimate place to do it, because they do big mm. cities bigger and better than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And the specific city, honestly, I feel like with two weeks, I'm close enough that I could hit several. That's what I think. You know what I mean? That okay, they're, what, they're, where are you gonna fly? Where are you gonna fly in? What are you gonna fly into? Honestly, the number one, if I'm only gonna be in one city for two weeks, is probably Kuala Lumpur. Oh, okay. I I have a a an acquaintance from there that I've known for years, and um, hearing her talk about the city definitely put in my mind uh, the desire to go there and. Yeah, so that's definitely the number one. Plus, I know still know less about it than most of what I than most of what I've heard of all the other cities. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I kind of like to go places that I've not or I've not heard of before, and I don't know lots of people who have been to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Tokyo is obviously on that list as well. But but yeah, Kuala Lumpur would be number one for me. And as we wrap up this episode, I we would love to hear from you. This is a good chance for you as listeners to go to one of our social media outlets or to email us and let us know if you had two weeks all expenses paid to go somewhere you've never been, where would you go? We'd love to hear from you. If you're not currently subscribed or following our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page, we want to invite you to do that. Uh, we'd love you to join in the conversation. We really do want this to be a dialogue. We want to feel connected to you, so we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any countries that you would like to hear about, let us know, because we can definitely effort finding guests from other places. You know, we're always trying to go uh, to find places that we have not heard about yet, and we want to know what you want to hear about. Honestly, Pete and I are up for anything. So throw something out there you want to hear about, and we'll see what we can do to effort uh, finding a guest from there. Until next time, I'm Phil. I'm Pete. Have a great day.